I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A one, a two. A one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining. The birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. Fifteenth hole here. Drivers recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? Did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible... G'day, I'm Andrew Datto, and this is Golf, the podcast. Great to have you with us. I got a direct message on the Instagram. You can do that at Andrew Datto. Uh, And it said, Andrew, you're awesome. No, it didn't. It said, Andrew, it's just over three years since the Australian golfer Jared Lyle passed away uh, with leukemia, is there any chance we could find out some more about him? And I thought it was just a brilliant idea. I don't know Jared. I worked with him once at a corporate day. Uh, He told his story and he told his story beautifully. And um, given he's not here to tell it now, I thought let's go to one of his, his very good friends, who's also a very good friend of mine, and that is Paul Gow. So it's great to have Gary back on the podcast and especially to talk about Jared, who is someone that he um, spent a great deal of time with in America. You know, they were mates, they played golf, they ate, they drank, they carried on. It's a t- <laughs> Look, it's a terrific story and Gary, obviously, um, you're a good storyteller, so he, he tells it well. And while you're enjoying the podcast, have a think about going to challenge.org.au and challenge uh, was the charity that uh, Jared and his family uh, support and have supported um, and it's supporting kids with cancer so maybe you can find something there in the shop to buy uh, to help kids with cancer out so here it is Paul Gow um, talking about Jared Lyle his life and love and golf and um, look I hope you enjoy it It is a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Paul Gow. How are you, Gowie? Um, it's Boy, a it's sensational. Yeah, good. Um, hey, look, first of all, congratulations on the show. What you've managed to do is almost a miracle. Not one golf show, but two golf shows at the same time in this climate is extraordinary. So well done. No, thank you. Yep, no, it's all been uh, good and, and, yeah, we've got it up. Who, who knows? We mightn't get the season two, but let's just wait and see. Yeah, we've got some you know big guests to come on from 
um, jockeys to cricketers to footballers. So it'll be good. Yeah, it's great fun. I love talking to them. Great. Well, what we're going to talk about today is uh, a mate of yours, Jared Lyle. I got contacted uh, two weeks ago um, by one of the listeners who said, listen, Jared Lyle passed. Would it be possible to find out a bit more about him? Because anyone, you know, interested in the game of golf in Australia knows something about Jared or something about his fundraising. Um, but I thought, what you know, you're a mate of his. Why don't we actually talk about what he was like and who he was and what he did and and what he achieved, which is actually phenomenal given that, you know, like as a start when he was 17, that's when he was first diagnosed with um, myeloid leukaemia and then spent a year in hospital. It took another year before he could actually walk the golf course. So to, to achieve what he did is pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Oh, it, yeah, amazing at 17. You know, um, you know he's in the... The parts of his golf career, his dad was a good golfer, Leighton, his brother, good golfer out of Shep and, um, you know, he used to caddy for his dad as a little tacker. So he, he fell in love with the game, you know, by caddying for his dad like we all do. And, you know, to, to be hit with that at 17, um, you know, at the end of his schooling, you know, cycle too, he, um, you know, it was pretty tough, I'm sure. But when we first seen him uh, hit the uh, hit the links was at Royal Melbourne, Um and you know he went head to head. This this big burly fellow went head to head with, you know, likes of Craig Parry, and it was it was marvelous to see. So I was a tour pro by then, and and watching it, um, I'd missed the cut successfully by then by about eight or ten, and right. thought, wow, who is this kid? Like, look at him. He hits his long iron so beautifully. He drove the ball nice, and he it, it looked like he just didn't have a care in the world because being a golf professional, you're playing for your livelihood. Yeah. Um, he wasn't at that stage, but he just he looked like golf and him just got on well. Like he just brushed things off. Like if a ball went into the bush or he got a bad kick, well, even on that particular time when he was in the heat of the battle, it just didn't. He just didn't care, and he didn't change. Years later, when he started playing for money, he he still played the same way. Um, yeah, it, that's when he hit us. You know, with uh, with the type of player he was. Did he? So back then, was he? Like the big character, was he a bucket hat? Like I know he's a country boy, and 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 I mean this with all due respect. There's that he sort of hit that country boy look of a big bloke, ruddy cheeks, you know, like rough. <laughs> As you say, you know, look like he didn't have a care in the world. Is that is that is that what he was like? Like he, I mean, I, I mean, maybe yeah. that's maybe that was the secret. Maybe that's a secret. Lots of golfers can take into the game, amateur or professional, is to to actually not care as much or is that just being ridiculous oh no 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 he um years later like because i always looked at him like that and i didn't really get to play uh, much with him until a few years later um he was an amateur then when he turned pro and he come to the u.s he come to um the um what we call the nike tour it was called the nationwide when he played and he would have practice rounds and he'd go gary you know you get another chance i go what are you talking about he goes <laughs> We get, after you hit a bad shot, you know you get another chance. Why do you get upset? I said, oh, because I care about it. And he'd go, mate, just let it go. What, what, what does it matter? You get another go. And, you, and he goes, you know what? He said, you get another go tomorrow. I said, oh, stop being stupid. Yeah, really? Yeah. And um, that's, you know, he'd, he'd wear on you in that sense because he, he was 100% right. He had the greatest attitude for golf. Um, and not all of us have, right? Some are highly strung and some – just roll into it like he did. But that's the way he lived his life too, is that he there, there wasn't a care in the world. He just he took it all in front of him. And it was quite amazing to watch him play golf because he did it with ease. 
and that's yeah. the thing. He um, he wasn't a hard practicer. Um, he, he when he did turn up into Orlando, um, I hooked him up to the golf course where I was a member at Grand Cypress, and once you know I'd been there for about four or five or six years, and you know, I talked to people, but I was there to do a job. He'd just roll in there and start talking to everybody, and it was quite amazing. Like he just he won them over. They actually started liking Australians after uh, he got to our golf club. Right, so they were, they didn't like Australians before he got there. <laughs> Why? Why was that? You know, probably didn't like me that much, yeah, you because know, I was a brash Sydney side. So, just rolled in there. So where were you at, at at that in your career? Because his career actually seems to mirror yours quite closely. Actually, you know, a couple yep. of wins on the nationwide tour, and you know, a bit of well, a bit of success on the on the the main tour. Um, where were you in your career when he showed up? Yeah, I was. I um, uh, successfully played my way back to the nationwide after being on tour in two thousand and one. So um, I got back there and started. And what does that mean? You successfully played your way well, back. I didn't play so, so well, you so failed. I had to go back. You're yeah, right. I had to go back. I was. Okay. You know, if you didn't make the one twenty five on the yeah. money list in the US tour, you were. You know, you got a spot back. Uh, I think you had to be inside the top two hundred on the US tour to get a spot for the following year on the on the nationwide at that stage. So him and Michael Sim, who were good mates, they travelled together a fair bit. You know, they were a lot younger than me. So it was great fun. It was great banter, actually, because they'd absolutely take the piss out of me, and so would I. I'd take the piss out of them. And um, it was quite the opposite with those two. Michael Sim was a really hard worker, and Jared had this just ability. It was a bit like Rod Pampling, where they didn't practice that hard. They knew how much practice they needed to, to play well, and that's all they did. They didn't do any extra. So I, you know, I'd always get into Jared. You know, mate, you got to you got to spend more hours there. You got to work harder. But you know, he was too clever. He had just said, "Well, this is all I need to do," and, and which he was really good <laughs> and at. So, and and so, yeah, he was funny too. And so did that frustrate you? I mean, like, given he did, he did well. Did it frustrate oh, you? Really? Thinking he could have done better. <laughs> and and and, and oh, then does yeah. he get? Yeah, absolutely. No, it frustrated me because I, I, I'd be out of bed early and, and go to the gym and do all that sort of stuff. So I convinced him at one time because he hadn't been playing so good. I said, how about you come to the gym with me? And um, so he goes, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm bored. I'll come to the gym. So we offered the YMCA we go and and um, he got on the treadmill. I said, mate, just do a warm-up. We'll do a 10-minute run and then, you know, we'll go and get on some light weights and then away from there. And um, after about, I'm going to say, a good solid minute and a half, <laughs> he stopped. And he goes, I'm out. I said, what do you mean you're out? He goes, mate, this is no good for me and it's no good for all these other people here, these these guys watching me and my guts um, jump up and down and my boobs jump up and down. He goes, I'm out. I said, no, you can't go. He goes, oh, see you later. So he wandered out of the place. And the gym happened to be oh, a good 500 metres up from uh, his place and he'd always, if you ever go there, uh, meet us down at the pool with the kids and stuff. He'd um, he'd just drive his car down. So it was such a funny bugger with that. He he just knew who he was and how he needed to operate. So I wasn't that frustrated, but I always thought he could put a little bit of extra in. But it might have help. And later on in life now, I'd I look at it more that it's not the same for everybody. And um, yeah. just because Greg Norman was a hard practicer and Tiger Woods was a hard practicer, it doesn't mean that. Phil Mickelson needed to be a hard practicer. So, um, okay. you know, I, I learned a lot from him and I'm, and a lot of people, you know, um, did, you know, through his okay. time with us. Hey, what sort of golfer was 
Jared was here. But, I mean, he's, look, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I met him once. I've, and yeah. the, the, my extent to really seeing him play was um, the, the hole-in-one you know, which you just watch. <laughs> um, at the, was it the waste management? Is that no, the waste management? Twenty five thousand people yeah. there, and he's walked in there. It's like walking into the MCG, right? You walk through this tunnel, mm. and it's just thousands, and they're pretty much drunk, right? They're all drunk, mm. so you you normally just don't react to them because they'll just throw abuse of some sort at you, and then. You know, when the big fella hold that out, you know, that's the that's an image that went around the world. Tiger Woods did yeah. it you know, 15 years before that and the place erupted um, and then I, I think it erupted even more. And Jason Shortle, a good friend who was a caddy for him at the time, he, he was there. He said he's never heard anything so loud that yeah. went off. But Jared's reaction, it was just him. Like, yeah. you, know, you effing beauty. So, and, so, so and what – what style of golfer was he? What was his uh, – was he a big was he a big hitter or, a, um, you know – Greater around the greens, or what was his, um, what was his modus operandi? I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a word. And if it was, I wouldn't understand what it is. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, he, he was a great iron player. If you had to stand one part of his game out, it'd be five iron up to two iron. Um, that he was exceptional at. Like he's one, he's like a Luke Donald. That their long irons were long, high, and straight. Um, but for a big fella, it, it really surprised me how good his short game was. Like he had so much touch for a huge guy that, you know, you, you play. we play these games at Grand Cypress, what we call tennis. So you get two balls each and it's like a game of tennis. So um, I've got two balls I and he's got one and I'll, I'll chip and then he's got to get that ball inside my ball and then I get a second serve to get inside his ball. So it's called tennis. So we'd play for hours there. And he'd absolutely whip me. It just absolute. And I thought I had a pretty good short game. And mm. then I'd go to shots and I'm thinking, he can't hit this shot. There's no bloody way. I've spent hours on this and he just, he giggled because he just flopped this thing up. So I'd say to him, well, go and try this game against Greg Chalmers, see how you go. And um, <laughs> I get Greg because Greg's amazing. And I think Greg was about the only one that could actually test him on it. And, um, you know, he's a bit of a closet, by the way. He was a bit of a closet practicer. At home, which I found out years later. Yeah, right. But the, um, but wasn't that the way? I mean, I've heard you talk about that before. Weren't you all a bit like that when you got to America? Like you were all a bit, um, yeah, mate, mate. I'm having a great time, and then <laughs> on the side, you you know, chip, 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 chip. Yeah, a little, a little bit like that. But I never thought he did because yeah. he was such a a real person. He never bullshit. There was no bullshit in Jared. There was zero of it, and he. Um, I went round to his place one night. To, we were going to watch footy, some NFL game or something. I'd pop around there with some bourbons, and in there was a putting mat and this putting device that you got in that he had his, his Scotty Cameron putter set up. And and I'm like, oh, practice, hey, yeah. He goes, oh, I just get up there occasionally, and you could see that it had been worn out, like he'd worn it out, and because right. he had a pure putting stroke. Like you'd look at this thing, and go, oh wow, his ball had always stayed on the ground. It was just, it was a pure. Uh, pure putting stroke. So he did do a little bit of closet practice, but it was with his short game. Um, but there was lots of parts of his game you liked. He, his driver was, you know, pretty straight and long. He occasionally hit one to the right where he gets stuck. Um, Sandy Jemison um, was his coach for a lot of years, and they just kept it simple. Like they really kept the whole game simple, and that had pissed me off sometimes because, mate, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And he'd go, yeah, yeah it's that simple. 
And we just argue about. And would he say that? Uh, but but, but would he like? Would he say it is that simple? Oh yeah, geez, absolutely. In his mind, um, that was the way that uh, that that he <laughs> would look at the game. That why would you make it harder, you idiot? And you know what? He was right. He was right in that sense, and that was the way, the comfortable way that he would play. Um, and he was so friendly with everybody at the golf course. I I would think when you get into the heat of the battle that. You know, you just sort of go into your little shell, but he wouldn't. He would laugh and he'd, you know, take the piss out of people on the first tee. You know, he could be playing with anyone and he'd be cracking a joke or some sort on the first tee. When you're just about to tee it up in an $8 million tournament, he'd be just loose. It was just, you know, just him. He wouldn't, there was no airs and graces. He'd just mm. roll with it, just how he wanted to. Yeah, maybe that's there's something in that as well. <laughs> hey, it's interesting you say like for a big guy he had great touch because um, I spoke to Craig Parry on the podcast a while ago and and we talked about when he lost weight and what he when he Craig said that when he lost weight he actually lost touch he lost the feeling in his hands yeah. to actually play a good short game and it was so he's like this is ridiculous I know I, I know this is better for me but. Um, but I can't play golf anymore. So maybe there's something in, in that just, you know, you, you are what you are yeah. and you should um, sort of, I guess, roll with it. Yeah. Well, Derek was perfect that he just, he definitely would roll with it. And and the, the beauty of him sometimes, if he'd have a bad day because, he, you know, um, not every day was great, he wouldn't go and, you know, hit a bunch of balls on the practice fairway. He'd just go, because we'd shade it, you know, a number of times, We'd share a, a, a courtesy car or a car of some sort, and um, I'd be finished before him or something. I mate, you want to get hit balls? And he'd go, "Oh no, we'll go." I said, "You sure?" And he goes, "No, no, I'm all good." And off he'd go. So it was like amnesia. He'd forget. He'd just go as soon as he was out of there. You know, give him a couple of minutes just to breathe, and then he would, you know, he'd jump in the car and go home. And you know, you wouldn't really discuss golf after that. You know, it's not the things you discuss. <laughs> Let's talk about footy. Um- yeah. He went from the from the tour, lost his card, back to the nationwide, got his card, back to the tour. What are those sort of ups and downs like? I mean, just you know, for you as well, like what mm. what's that like as a as a profession and, and 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 maybe how did that prepare him, I suppose, for that um for that second remission, do you think? Or or if it did, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know what? He actually had two guys, Trip Eisenhower and myself, um, who Trip lived in Orlando, um, and we had the similar sort of careers in and out. We weren't like a Stuart Appleby or a or a Rod Pampling or someone like that, or Petalona that kept the cards every year. So we were a good sounding board for him, and a lot of the time our discussions were were about, um, you know, you know you're good enough because you've already been there. It's just belief, and um, you'll get back there. So, you know. From day one, he's a guy from 17 years of age who was dealt a shit sandwich. It was just, you know, it wasn't good. So adversity to him was just normal. So yeah. when things like this come, especially the second time round, and, you know, obviously I didn't know him the first time round, but the second time round, he just held with it. And I know it might have been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a cover sheet there that, oh, you know, I'll be right, I'm tough, I'll get along with it. You know, he just got on with it. There was no bitching and whinging. There was no why me, all that sort of stuff. And that's the way he played his golf. He didn't bitch and whinge and carry so, on. He just he so, played it how it was. I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is a fair question, but do you think given that 
that first bout of leukemia that he had and the fact that he'd been to the well and been, I mean, you know, like in hospital for 12 months and he'd, he, you know, like it was, I'm sure he got pretty close to, to not coming back, that, that when you do come back from something like that, do you think that gave him a sort of a different perspective on the game? Like, you know, you said, oh, yeah, he's fine, yeah, whatever, gets in the first tee. He's like, well, far out. How ba- I've seen how bad it can be and it's got nothing to do with golf. <laughs> do you think there's something in, in that? Oh, it's a good question. But looking at his demeanour, I don't think so in the sense that I think he knows he's a country boy. He just knows how life operates. Okay. Um, and I think he just made every post a winner because he never felt sorry for himself in that time. He did tell me one time that, you know, when he was driving back from Melbourne, he was in tears and he's like, oh, why? He was asking his mum and his dad, why him at that stage? And he said it didn't last long and then I just got on with it. So um, it might have given him perspective, but I think he had perspective way before that. His upbringing, um, you know, it, 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 you know, a lot of times it changes people's life, but I think his was already changed. I already think he knew what it was about. I think he had his goal, you know, no matter what was going on, he really wanted to be a professional golfer on the US Tour. And um, when he got that opportunity, you know, matter even the second bout coming along, he wasn't going to let it get to him. He just got stuck into the, you know, into the chemo and, um, you know, because he knew he was a good enough player. He'd, he'd already played against the world's best that he just he just rode with the punches and, and got through it. But the adversity, you, you spoke about it earlier that people forget the short amount of time that he had in his career and what he did in his career was bloody amazing, you yeah. know, because not everybody gets to the US Tour. We've got to keep that in mind. We we speak so flippant of it that, oh, he's a US Tour player, but there's only a certain amount that get to the biggest tour in the world and he got there, you know, basically with limited not, resources. Yeah, not one, it, I think he did once. He got there numerous times. Yes. <laughs> I understand after the Mayakoba Classic, he was yep. bitten by an insect that got infected, and then getting that treated. That's when they found he had the second round of leukemia. Yeah. Did he? Did did he have any inkling that there was anything wrong with him in the lead up to that? No, not prior to that? that. So that year, right, 2012, he'd made. Um, I was off tour that year, and he he'd made six out of seven cuts and just finished fourth of the Northern Trust Open. And I was back in Oz and I'm, you know, going back and forth, texting him, you know, well done, big fellow, you know, enjoy Mayacoba, great resort down there in Mexico. 
um, blah, blah, blah. Next thing I got a text from Trip saying, Jared's coming back to Orlando. Uh, he's been bitten by an insect. It's, it, it's blown up big time. They're not quite mm. sure of it. And, you know, you, you sort of half think, oh, I hope that's all right. Hopefully the doc there. So he went back to Orlando and um, yeah, the docs there said, no good, you know, you're better off going home. So um, that trip home wasn't, yeah, wasn't great at all um, and the trip back to Melbourne. So, uh, you, you know, he probably didn't know. I'm sure he was like all of us going, oh, well, I hope not. I hope it's not like there again. Hopefully, yeah. you know, it's not coming back. But it, it was ridiculous how good from a golfing term, you know, that was his turn, right? 2012, fourth at the LA Open, you know, made 220 dollars His career was off. Like it was shooting to another level and the, the belief that, now, second time around, he's on the tour. He's he's, he's having a real crack now. So, yeah, um, it, it was it was just terrible, terrible. So to come back from that second remission to make it yep. back to the tour again, so that was on a medical exemption anyway. But it doesn't matter how we got there, right? Yep. So it's yep. on a medical, and he was doing well again. So did you speak with him much about what you know he's? what he was thinking then, like it must have been, like just saying, you know, it, it seems like one of those stories where he'd it'd just be the, the, the party was on, like, brew, let's oh. giddy yeah. up. Well, you know, the interesting part after 2012 and he, he'd gone through that and um, he, he headed back to the, um, he started on the Australian tour, right, so that that carries into his medical in the US. I think you can only have seven before you get back there. So he played the Australian Masters, and that was pretty damn emotional for sure. I, I actually mm. wasn't there. I was sitting there watching watching it on TV. Um, I've got to say one of the most emotional times through with Jared was when he did come back. Bree was pregnant with Lucy and they'd got the news and so um, they brought Lucy forward so Bree could have her so Jared could spend some time with her. And as a parent, you know, it, that was heartbreaking that, um, that that was done. And he handled it, you know, with you know, so much grace. It was amazing. I spoke to him before he was going into chemo. I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was at Little Athletics in the Saturday morning watching my kids, my two girls run around. And you can remember it. I was like, oh, wow, geez, mate, just get through this. You've got Lucy here now and Bree, who you absolutely adore. Um, you know, mate, get through it. So he did. And to get through it and then play golf again, like yeah. there was that time through that when I talked to him and, it, you know, he wasn't quite sure. He didn't have enough strength and he'd be down at Torquay Sands and he'd be in the buggy and, and he'd say, oh, I'm taking Lucy for a ride in the buggy. And then all of a sudden he'd play one shot and then he, he would play two shots. And then all of a sudden without any time at all, he was up to playing like three holes. Yeah. like, are you serious? You're playing through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he started to get a bit more belief that he was able to come back again. And then, mate, when he got into nine holes, shit, he was off there. And he was like, well, I'm going to play the tour again. And right. I was like, are you serious, mate? You've had, you know, you've been through two bouts of chemo. You've been hit with the shit stick again. Mate, sure you want to do that? And he did. He just, it takes... It takes only a strong will to do it, and he definitely had it. So you said, you know, he's – so you've – I don't know, you've used the word belief a lot, and it sounds like at that mm. point you were possibly a non-believer, right? Like just, dude, go and do, yep. you know. So how his yep. mental toughness, I mean, must have been off the charts. 
Well, fast, yeah, ridiculous because, you know, all sports and life and different things, you have to make sacrifices, right? So I know exactly the sacrifice he would have to make um, a third time or to go back on tour again with the family, you know, pack up Bree and Lucy and head back over to the US. You know, it was a big sacrifice to make to go, I'm going to do this to my family. I know how much time away, you know, we, they've helped me fight this. Um, I've gone, come back and had the, the game of golf at, you know, the, the Australian Masters. That felt good. But maybe I'll just stay here and I'll get a club job or, um, you know, he was, he, you know, he was starting to go into TV. It was great. He was starting to work yeah. a little bit for Fox Sports and a bit of stuff. So he, um, you know, he, he could have folded up like a lawn chair and go, nah, nah. But he had just that little bit of belief that goes, you know what, I've already been there. I finished fourth at the LA Open, for God's sake. You know, I'm going back. Yeah. And I... Yeah, I was a non-believer because I thought far out. He's got some. He's got a massive, you know, hill to climb here. And but he got back on. He used his medical, and he 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 got stuck into it. And um, you know, the family made some sacrifices, Bree included, and to get over there. And I remember they went and bought a big bus, and they drove around the country in the big bus. And um, you know, because he, he's a family man, that's you know, that would have been some some of his fun times driving around that big bus. That's for sure. Yeah, and what and what was amazing was that he actually got himself back. To the tour, did he? Hang on, did he? Did I looked? At, I saw this on Wiki, but he he tied for one twenty fifth, which got him his card for the next time around. Is that correct? No, no. What, what it did, a medical gave him. He had to make a more than the or the equivalent to the person who ran one twenty five. Oh, okay. So he, he he had to make about I think it was about two hundred and eighty grand because your money goes. Your money goes from the, the money that you left off at the time. So I think it was like maybe near 300. So it might have been 580 that kept your card that particular okay. year. And so we had to make equivalent of the 125th the year before. And then he would have been fully oh, exempt. Yeah, he would have got outside. So he had, had those 20 events to do that. And then to get you know, on an exempt for the following year and the rest of that year, he would have to make that 125. So it was actually a ride. Like I was actually. Um, yeah, doing my radio gigs and different things. I was giving people updates on, you know, where he had to go and what he had to do because he had a couple of good weeks that he threw in there. Um, but it was always going to be a, a, a tough order because, you know, he, he spent, you know, 18 months, you know, um, rehabbing in ke- chemo while these other guys are hitting balls, you know, yeah. every day and playing, competing. So to get sharp for the game, um, he started to get sharp in around about round, or I think about his 10th tournament. He started, you could see that, you know, his scrambling stats got a little bit better and a few of the other stats started to get better. So because I was pulling his stats apart, you know, ripping into it and um, waiting for the day that he might have called me and goes, Gary, what do you think What do you think I should do? Because I'd never give advice like, right. to right. him. And, um, right. I didn't. No, I never gave him advice. No, it was yeah. more coming the other way. I'd take advice. Um, but I was looking at the stats and uh, I was thinking, oh, you can do a bit more of this and your wedge game can be a little bit better. But he never asked, so... He had it under control. He knew what he was doing. Okay. I remember seeing him um, not long before he died at the Australian Open. And at that stage, he was really, you know, raising a stack of money for leukemia yeah. research. Um, and then, you know, sadly, as we say, 13 months ago to this day, um, he died, uh, which is, a you know, it's a reality and a tragedy for the, for the game. What do you reckon his legacy is for... Australian golf? Oh, there's lots of things, but the main legacy and what he wanted to bring to the attention, you know, the challenge 
um, who helped him so much back in when he was 17, um, when he was in that hospital bed in Melbourne and he loved his golf. They got Robert Allenby to come in and Robert become good friends with him and they gave him hope and that's what the challenge is all about. And then, you know, having the Luke of the Duck and the yellow hats and the head covers, that's what he wanted to leave. He, he wanted to leave that people would remember him, um, people would um you know, know what he was about, um, that he was a genuine person, a loving, caring type of person. Uh, he wasn't full of bullshit. He was just, as you've seen him, is, is what you got. Like, it was just him. So, you know, having the Luke of the Duck piece was pretty special to him. And now um, Bree being part of that organisation and the awareness they're bringing to this and, and the money they have raised, because um, he... He loved kids, right? He'd go back yeah. into the into the hospital when he was home, and because he was a big kid, I, I I wrote a little thing for his fortieth birthday, and I said I loved when he turned up to Orlando because I had two kids, but I needed a bigger kid to play with, and he was that big kid that I come round and I get so drunk and we'd laugh and <laughs> go around the house and take the piss out of him and and just have fun with everybody. So he was the big kid that you'd have fun yeah. with and. Um, you know, so, it, it, you know, it, that legacy to him will be, you know, very, very special and it'll last for a long time because he's touched the hearts of a lot of people. And I can say, and this, I'm not being mean here, but there's a lot of players that have played on golf tours around the world that have won golf tournaments and when they pass away, people won't remember them. Mm. Not only they're close people, but there's a lot of people around the world that will remember Jared Lyle. Yeah, one of the great examples of living the moment. All right, Gowie. Hey, listen, thanks very much. I really appreciate your time and uh, and sharing your stories and your insight. You know, it's it's. I guess it's nice to be able to talk about a friend and you know say something nice. So it's terrific. Oh, oh what I don't normally say stuff nice. No, 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 no. I, no, I, no but like I, I, I mean, to, you're a very nice person, Andrew. Yeah, and you've no, I mean, got a very lovely golf game. Yeah, well, like, oh, not anymore. That. I'm, I'm working. <laughs> who have you got on the um, – who's who are you playing around with uh, this week, this Tuesday? <laughs> I'm playing around with myself this Tuesday. Now I've got um, – who have I got? I've got uh, Brett Lee, the cricketer. I've got uh, – who else have I got coming? Cooper Cronk, the rugby league player. James McDonald uh, and Kate Malley and the jockeys. Um, yeah, so we've got a few good people coming up. And who surprised you with how well they play or don't play? Who's um, – I think well, one of the the better players I, I think that surprised me was, and, and he doesn't think he's very good, but I think when he gets to play a bit more golf is Mick Fenning, the surfer. Yeah, right. Um, he's only new to the game, and he goes, "Oh, I'm not really good." And the first two shot, he hit like 290 meters straight down the middle, ball running forever, Hope Island. I go, "Mate, you know you're a lot better than you are, like that you think you are." And he goes, "Oh, no, I'm not." And he's just one of those naturally gifted. Athletes, a bit like yourself, yeah. Andrew, that just all sports <laughs> just, just come easy to them. Did, uh, he, did uh, he? Did he get you wanting to to surf at all or not? No chance. We actually didn't really talk about surfing, so right, you can okay. see that I was a bit uncoordinated just getting out of the golf cart, let alone trying to stand up at a surfboard. Jeez, you'd be interested to know, Andrew. I'm actually going to try surfing this year for the first time. Yeah, great. Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Make sure you go when there's waves. All right, Gary. Hey, listen, thanks very much. Good luck with the show. Playing around Tuesday nights on Fox Sports 503. Yep. Thanks, mate. 
Great stuff. Uh, really good to catch up with Gowie and, and, and great to hear about Jared Lyle and their friendship and just to, to know more about him. As I say, uh, Jared was a big supporter of Challenge, who is supporting kids with cancer. So if you go to challenge.org.au, there's a shop icon there and you can find all manner of things to um, show your support for, for Jared and, and what he achieved as a golfer and also what he's trying to achieve for families um, as he watches from above. So challenge.org.au, get yourself a Luke hat or a head cover, some balls, bucket hat. There's also this the, um, the book about Jared, Jared Lyle, My Story. All right, thanks for listening. Something different next week. I hope you enjoy it um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Don't even know what it is, but I know I'm going to enjoy it. Thanks, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.